First of all, I want to say two thank yous. I want to thank the leadership here for the, the series that they've brought over the last few weeks, um, really outlining the foundation of what LCC is all about. I find every one of those to be helpful, encouraging, and challenging. <laughs> every, <clears throat> excuse me. Every single week, I've gone home challenged about something. Um, and then the second thing I want to say thank you to is the band this morning. Every song reflects something of what I want to say. And that's got to be Holy Spirit at work. Because they haven't got a clue what I'm going to say. <laughs> um, but really, over the last few months, there are three major areas that God has been speaking to me about. First of all, back in last October, in our community group one Wednesday evening, we read the verses from Luke's gospel that record the names of the 12 disciples. Luke chapter 6 verses 13 to 16 read, And when it was day, he called his disciples to himself, and from them he chose 12, whom he also named apostles, Simon, whom he also named Peter, and Andrew his brother, James and John, Philip and Bartholomew, Matthew and Thomas, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon called the Zealot, Judas the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who also became a traitor. Now I've read over many years those verses many times, and I guess most of you have as well. But the final verse, final part of verse 16, jumped off the page at me that night. Judas Iscariot became a betrayer. The only time we hear about Judas Iscariot in the scriptures is at the end of the story. We know the end of the story, Judas, don't we? The Judas who betrays Jesus. But there was a beginning of Judas' story because he was chosen to be one of the twelve to walk with Jesus, to be with Jesus for three years, to, to learn what it is to be with Jesus. And it just made me, the Holy Spirit made me realize no one is ever just one thing. Toby, you may have mentioned that this morning in your opening. We come in all sorts of states this morning. Judas wasn't just one thing, and neither am I, and neither are you. Judas's name appears in the gospel a total of 20 times. Nine times he's referred to as that betrayer. But nine times he's referred to as one of the 12, one of the chosen, a disciple. And there's one other thing about Judas. He was with Jesus when Jesus washed the feet of his disciples. Judas had a place at the table with Jesus. And so do I, and so do you. That's the fabulous thing about our Saviour. And out of that, the question I felt the Lord asking me was, what do you want to become? Who do you want to become? And I thought about that. And the Lord brought to my mind a book written by a friend of mine, raising the level of my commitment the final sentence of his book reads, remember, your highest aspiration is to witness yourself being transformed into the image of Christ. Without that, everything else loses meaning. That, for me, 
is the ultimate. To see myself being transformed into the image of Christ. Nothing else, nothing else in this world has any real meaning or real purpose. I want to be transformed into the image of Christ. How can I do that? Well, first of all, I can't do it in my own strength. That's for sure. Because I've been trying for about 69 years. (laughs) And I haven't made it yet. I need the help of the Holy Spirit. And if I'm going to become like Jesus, I've got to live as he lived. Um, He's in me. The Bible tells me he lives in me. But a lot of the time, I don't act like him. I don't talk like him. And when I compare myself to Jesus, I fall way, way, way short. Some days I don't come anywhere near close. And so I've looked very quickly at the life of Jesus. And as I've done that, I felt he highlights some of the things, some of the important characteristics of his life he wants me to have. He loved unconditionally. Unconditionally. The king of the universe, the creator of all things, gave up his throne, gave up that place at the side of the father and came down to here because he loved me and he loved you and he died for us. No conditions, no conditions to his love. He died for the murderer. He died. Yes, he died for the rapist. He died for the liar. He died for the terrorist even. And he did it because he loved us, every one of us. And the challenge for me is, do I love like that? I'm a work in progress. But the truth is, I can love the way that God has asked me to. Because the word of God says the love of God has been shed in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. That means God's love is already inside of me. I have to bring it out with help of Holy Spirit. Jesus' life too was a prayerful life. If he needed to pray, how much more do I? Corrie ten Boom said this about prayer. The wonderful thing about praying is that you leave a world of not being able to do anything and enter God's realm where everything is possible. Nothing is too great for his almighty power. Nothing is too small for his love. The third thing, which is a real challenge, Jesus had a heart of forgiveness. He prayed, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. On the cross. And I know forgiveness isn't easy. But the Bible says I have to forgive if I want to be forgiven. So it's not an option. It's not a suggestion. It's a command. And I saw this quote just recently. Forgiveness doesn't excuse their actions. Forgiveness stops their actions from destroying your heart. And I I know that's true. With all of my heart, I know that to be true. When I came to the place of forgiving my father, something was released in me and in my heart. I was set free because I forgave my father. 
And then Jesus knew the word of God. He didn't have all that we've got. He just had the first bit. But he knew it. And when the devil came to him and tempted him, his reply was, the word says, it is written. I want to know what this word says. So when the devil comes to me and goes, I can say, the word says. Jesus' heart was a heart of compassion. Matthew says, when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them. Because they were weary and scattered like sheep, having no shepherd. Compassion means sympathetic pity and concern for the sufferings or misfortunes of others. And that's not just something that I meant to do, you know, on special occasions or when I see a particular need. I am to be compassionate every day, 365 days a year. Do I make it? Jesus knew who he was. Jesus knew the authority he had. So he could say to the mountain, be removed. He rebuked demons. He spoke and the storm was calmed. He ordered sickness and disease to leave. He exercised the authority that he has as the son of God. And the Bible says the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is in me. I am a child of God. I have that authority too. Jesus said, speak to your mountains. He didn't say, plead and cry. Oh, please come and do something about it. Move it for me. He said, speak to it. Command it to go. Command it to be moved. Command it to come down. And then Jesus was obedient. Philippians, he being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Jesus was obedient right up to the end. It wasn't easy for him. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he even prayed, Father, if it's possible, if it's possible, let it go. But even so, the father didn't say, no, you don't have to do this. He went through with it. God doesn't want my sacrifice. He wants my obedience. And obedience always, always, always brings blessing. And then just this morning, as I was reading through my notes, I had to amend them a bit. Because I sensed the Lord speak to me. Reminding me that I know I've got an awful long way to go. To achieve anything like that. So I'm asking for help. I know Holy Spirit will help me. But I want some hands-on help. I want help that I can see. Help that I can feel. So I'm asking you to help me. Church family. Community group. Running partners. When you see me behaving in a way that isn't Christ-like. Whether it's the way I I act, or something I say, call me up on it, please. Just ask me, Margaret, what are you becoming? That will make me stop and think. I ask you to do that. I want to be accountable. I want to be more like Jesus. 
I read 1 Timothy 2, chapter 1 a few weeks ago. And in verse 6, Paul says to Timothy, stir up the gift in you. And that spoke as well. Because the Lord gave me the gift of interpretation many, many, many years ago. And I realized that I'd not exercised that gift for a very, very long time. And so I said, okay, Lord. Okay, Holy Spirit. Put the situation there and I'll use the gift. Twice within recent times, I've had the privilege of interpreting a prayer that's been brought in tongues. Both times, this is a kind of a warning really, before coming to church and as we gathered over there to pray before the meeting, I prayed that gifts of the Spirit would be manifest in our service this morning. (laughs) And it was. So just I just want to say, if you pray, be prepared to be the answer or part of the answer to your prayers. And then, finally, the Lord was speaking to me, I sensed. One of my renting partners sent me a text message a few weeks ago. The text message read, Hi, Margaret. Random question. Have you ever thought about writing a book? My reply, at a couple of prophetic evenings, Mike Bollinger has said he could see me writing. Not to put any pressure on, but to weigh it and see what God wants to do about that. And from time to time since those evenings, the thought has come to my mind that maybe I ought to, be, I ought to write a book to share my life story linked very heavily to the faithfulness of God in my life. And my question to my running partner was, what prompted the random question? Her reply, honestly, dot, 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 dot. I was thinking about Father's Day. And your situation with your earthly father, your story is so powerful for anyone to hear, but even more so for anyone who has been through something similar. My reply, I think this could be another prompting of Holy Spirit. Her reply, you better get writing then. (laughs) So, yes, I do believe I have to do it, but I know it's going to take time. The most important thing. It has to be in God's timing. And as I reflected back, as I prepared this, I see the various ways and situations that God speaks to me. He's used our gathering here, the preached word, our community group, our running partners. And they're not the only way. There's other ways as well. Just a few weeks ago, there was a a team from Aylsham came and prayed and prophesied over us. And I had powerful words that evening and I've written them all down and I'm bringing them all before God and I'm processing through them. The important thing is I need to be alert when Holy Spirit speaks to me and I need to hear what he's saying and then respond. Thanks for listening. Rachel, you're up. So I'm a bit nervous. Um, my name's Rachel. Um, I'm married to Julian. I've got five children and a grandson. And 
Anyway, so I was asked to talk today, and I think it's amazing from what Margaret brought and from the songs that have been sung today how God really wants to say something today because it's all linked, like what I've got to say, links with what Margaret said. I've got no idea what Jean's saying, but I'm sure God is in it, so it'll all come together. Um, so God's been talking to me about family. What does it mean, look like to be a family? And what does that show us about being a church family? So way, 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 way back before COVID, if anyone can remember such a time, um, I had a word from God um, based on gardening. I was doing the garden. And there's a phrase from that that has stuck with me that I'm just going to share with you today. So our garden was really overgrown and I had been weeding and somehow it looked worse because I dug it all up and it was everywhere. Ooh, sorry. Um, and um, yeah, Julian looked across at our neighbour's garden, which is beautiful. It's all lovely sculptured, neat edges, lovely green grass. Not so much now, but you know. Um, and he looked across and he said, oh, I've got garden envy. And I, I could relate, but um, I felt God say that he can... He came to bring freedom, not neat edges. And um, Galatians 5.13 says, For you were called to freedom, brothers, and you do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. So sometime later, we as a family had a rather public messy edge, as I'll call it. Um, and that's what I'm going to talk to you about today. Hopefully to encourage you. Um, and I feel I just need to say that I have got permission from my family to share this because obviously as a family my story is not just my story it's my family's story so um they do all know what I'm going to say um so um at that time um it was announced to the church on a Sunday evening in November that Julian was working towards eldership um here at LCC and the very next day our daughter Star um came home and told me she was pregnant she was 18 just completing her selection for the RAF to become a linguist. Uh, our only daughter, we have four boys, so she had four brothers. Um, there are a few moments as a parent where I have that, I've got to get this right in that moment. Um, I was really aware that my reactions, actions and words could either make this a Jesus moment or a bigger mess. And you can ask Star later how well I did. Probably not that great, but anyway. Um, I hugged my daughter. I was imagining how she was feeling whilst trying to control my feelings. Uh, we then had to ring Julian to tell him over the phone because he was working away at that time. Um, we prayed together and went to bed. So I was utterly broken. This was one of my worst fears and it had happened. The thing is, obviously the biggest consequence was for Star, but the implication and ripples go throughout the whole family. The shame, the feeling of failure having to tell my parents, my in-laws, her brothers, the church. Um, and that's where I want to thank you guys, actually. Um, for those of you that don't know, a letter was sent out to all the members because it had been announced about Julian pursuing eldership and then he wasn't going to pursue eldership at the moment because of dealing with the family. Um, and you guys were so supportive, um, so supportive to Star, my daughter, and to us. You welcomed us on a Sunday morning. We had messages and cards to show care. Um, we're with you. Um, no condemnation. Um, it was a wonderful reaction, and I know that that doesn't happen everywhere. So thank you. You demonstrated the grace and love that I know you have first received from Jesus. Let's look for more opportunities to do that. 
I was a bit cross, as not with you, um, because Star's actions had massive consequences for me and our family. It felt really unfair that we would all have to adapt and change um, and deal with this situation that was nothing to do with what we had done. But then I realised, hang on, this is a familiar story of humanity. We are all born and live under the curse of what Adam and Eve did. We have death, disease and struggles that we haven't often directly caused. But as believers, we live in the good and blessing of what Jesus won for all on the cross. Forgiveness, freedom, joy we didn't earn and don't deserve. Um, and uh, sorry, I've place. Um, so maybe <laughs> I was feeling as a church family, maybe and in our own families, um, when we're a bit niggled that someone has done something or not done something that affects us, we have a new opportunity to demonstrate the grace and mercy we have already received. And I know it's not easy. Um, the other thing I feel God has been speaking to me about through this messy edge is that family is dynamic. It moves, changes, develops. Who we are and what we do changes. Where we are is not where we were. Star is a mummy. She works as a dispensing assistant. She's about to become a wife. Tobias is two. He has a name. And actually, it means God is good. Amazing. Um, he's a lovely little boy who brings so much joy and vitality into our home. I'm a grandmother. My parents are great-grandparents. What a privilege. Our roles, identities changed, developed, progressed. Who we are is not who we were. In church family, we're changing. Maybe some of us still look at others as they were. Maybe they knew adults that were little boys and they're still seeing them as little boys or they remember mistakes that have been made. Maybe some of us look at ourselves as who or how we were. We think about our failures or we compare ourselves to someone who's better, more experienced. We need to be a family that recognises growth, change, allows mistakes. Let's not discount ourselves for being too old, too young, not from Lowestoft enough, too much from Lowestoft. Um, a little aside, um, that when I was preparing this, I felt that someone here or here needed to hear today. And when I told my mum about Star's pregnancy, she told me she'd watched a film and there was a young girl who was the result of an unplanned pregnancy. And she was angry and upset and trying to work it through. And she was talking to an older woman. And the young girl said, I was a mistake. And the older woman replied, no, your mum made a mistake, but you were the gift. And I think somebody maybe needs to know that, that there might have been mistakes made, but you are not that mistake. In the Bible, in Jeremiah 1.5, it says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I set you apart. And same in Psalm 139.15, my frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of the days that were formed for me. There are no mistakes with God. There is um, design and purpose for all of us. In Joel 2.28, um, it says, And it shall come to pass afterwards that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit. God's spirit breathes life and enables us to do extraordinary things outside the expected order of things. For example, Mike and Sue going to London and being involved in overseas ministry instead of the quiet retirement years. Um, my mum and dad fostering in their senior years. Um, Shlomit singing in the worship band. 
children contributing to church family life. Let's expect the unexpected. Let's embrace the children in our meeting and expect them to worship and bring contributions. Let's encourage one another to feel safe and loved to find our place in the church family. Thanks, Rachel. Jean. Cool, this is going to be a hard act to follow. Are you ready for one more? <laughs> Do you want to get up and have a shake or anything first? No? Good morning, everybody. Um, who doesn't love a holiday? <laughs> oh, It's not just holidays I love. I love all the different seasons we have of life, Christmas, summer, all different times. And they're often times for me when um, I... My time with God looks slightly different and we went on a holiday a couple of weeks ago and I was just perusing my books thinking, okay, Lord, which book do you want me to read? And uh, my rhythm with my time with God often looks quite different because um, I have more of a mentality of just being and I love my quiet times on holiday with Jesus because they're time to linger. They're, they're times to chew over. I haven't got to think, oh, I've got to be out the door at nine o'clock. So they're really, really special to me. And the, the book that um, I just couldn't get my eyes off that I needed to read was a dusty old book I found at the back of Kings, probably a name that you may have forgotten of if you did hear about it before. But he spoke at Stonely a long time ago. His name was uh, Ram Bamboo. And uh, in his book, um, he speaks very um, highly of um, Terry Virgo being one of his uh, uh, guys that he really respects. Um, anyway, some of the stuff in the book just really hit me and I was sitting with it. And then the week when we returned back, I was uh, blessed to be involved in um, helping to host a team leaders meeting at King's for our RMC, which was leaders across churches, um, getting together just to be refreshed. And Angela Kem happened to be the speaker. And um, I know that you all know Angela Kem very well. I know that she has a, a, a great love and passion for you guys here in Lowestoft. Um, and what really impressed on my heart was everything that I just read and everything that I was chewing over whilst I was on holiday was exactly what Angela Kem had just said. And I don't know uh, whether you do this, but it catches your ear, doesn't it? It catches you thinking, oh, Holy Spirit, what are you saying? What are you stirring up here? And the things that were on my heart were three words, battle, breakthrough and blessings. Um, we all know that we have an enemy. I'm going to do the battle bit first. And just to be quick, I'll probably do the breakthrough and blessings together. But. We all know we have an enemy who doesn't play fair. He's deceitful and he's actively looking to discourage and disempower us Christians. And I was hit by the story in page 17 of, uh, of Ram Bamboo's book. And uh, Toby's really good at um, re-reading stories, but I'm terrible, just like I am at my jokes. I always forget the punchlines. So I'm going to read it from the book. And it said, once I heard a story when Satan put all his weapons on display and everyone went to see the exhibition. All the weapons were polished and on show in glass cases. And the sign over one glass case read lying. And the price on this polished weapon inside was £1,000. 
I've changed this because it's all in Indian money and I have no clue what that means. Um, in the case marked stealing, the price was 5000 Another weapon marked adultery had been polished and was on show in a glass case priced 10000 there were all kinds of weapons. The most expensive one in the entire display was one million. But in a corner was a rusty old weapon, covered in dust and not in a glass case. And the price on that weapon was 10 million. The people went over to Satan and asked him, why is this weapon in the corner? Why has why it not been polished and why is it dusty? Why is it not in a glass case? Yet it's priced at 10 million. And Satan said, read the name on the weapon. And the people saw that it was labelled discouragement. Satan said, you see, Christians are very intelligent. When I take the weapon of lying to them or, or stealing or adultery, um, I know they know it's from me and will allow it in their lives. If I take, it's just the same if I take adultery or prostitution. They know it's from me and won't have it. But when I take discouragement, they do not recognize it as one of my weapons and they allow it into their lives. How true, I need to find out that Angela brought exactly the same thing to us as leaders. This is how the enemy is hitting the church. Tiredness after COVID, disappointments in the church and our lives, which leave us discouraged. And what does discouragement mean? It's a verb to extinguish courage, to dishearten to depress the spirits and to, and to and deprive confidence. Complete opposite of the characteristics of what we see in the Bible and of Jesus. Isn't it to have courage, to be courageous, to encourage? Yes, I can get disappointed, delusioned, tired, troubled and weary with struggles. But my antidote is to look up, to know the joy of the Lord, that's my strength, and to press into Jesus, to be aware of the enemy's schemes, holding tight to his word, and living and acting in the good of being full of his spirit, and addressing wrong thinking with biblical truths, and walking in the power of the spirit, and his glory and his grace. And the breakthrough and blessings bit is, every time you attempt something from God, I notice that the enemy brings discouragement. The Goliath in our lives is an invitation to breakthrough. Every time you compare your problems to yourself, you get discouraged. But when you compare them to Jesus, courage fills your heart. And when I compare my mountains to Jesus and his word and what he says about them, they seem minute. And I was back in the old stories of uh, my Sunday school days uh, where I hadn't been for a while. And um, I looked at the story of David and Goliath. And a man or a woman of courage will not look for the right circumstances to be ready for action. Can you imagine how David felt at first when uh, he approached Goliath, how the Philistines must have laughed when they saw little old David coming to slay Goliath? tell you something that must have been one anointed stone the holy spirit must have been all over that stone that goliath slung because it says in the word that that stone went and hit him right in the forehead and it sunk into his forehead 
And an interesting point here, and again, this was in this book, was when something hits you in the face or in the forehead, how do you think you'd fall? You might know this. If not, I'm just preaching to myself. How would you fall if someone hit hit you in the forehead? You'd go backwards. But it says in his word, in the word, that he fell forward. And why do you think that is? Because it says in his word that every knee shall bow before Jesus. And just to get in his face even more, what did David do? He got out his sword and then he cut off his head. And I love that. I love that. That really excites me. Because that's how we should be with the enemy. That's exactly how we should be with the enemy, in your face. So now I think some of this stuff is important for you guys here at Lowestoft too. We shared vision and stuff last week. And there was vision, prophetic changes. And sometimes we can be disappointed in things that have happened in the past. And in order for breakthrough to come and for us to move forward, it might look different for all of us. But for some, it may mean forgiveness. And for others, it may mean to cut a connection with the past. And I was just looking at Joshua. God started to speak to Joshua before he began his ministry. And Joshua had seen the days of the glory of Moses and how often we can often look back at the good old days. But I just want to remind you, we've got a new season. Coming here was a new season. But there's fresh anointing for you guys today, moving forward into all the new things that God has got for you here as a church. We mustn't live on yesterday's anointing. I just believe when we were listening to everything we were speaking about last week when Toby was preaching and in the evening, that there's fresh anointing for you as a church to move into everything that God has had prophesied over you. And that's all of you. That's not just corporately as a church. That's for each one of you as individuals. There's fresh anointing for you. And I know I'm repeating myself. And I hate, hate it sometimes when people repeat themselves. But I want to say that again so it just gets really into your uh, DNA and your bones. And Paul, he was focused. He was a visionary. He knew the purpose of God in his life. I just better, I'm just going to read one passage here, and, and that's Philippians uh, chapter 3. Sorry, I've got to put my glasses on again. I'm getting old. 12 to 14. Now that I have already attained all, obtained all of this, or not that I've already obtained all of this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straying towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for Jesus, which God has called me heavenwards for in Jesus Christ. Our experience of him must expand our faith and love. We should be living holy, powerful lives. What am I lacking? What do I need to to persevere in seeking him and his presence? That's what I'd written in my notes uh, a long time ago in the Bible. 
And lastly, just one more encouragement is in the story of Samson and his strengths. And it says in his word that a young lion came running towards him in Judges 14 verse 6. And it said the spirit of the Lord came upon Samson and he tore the lion apart, tore it into pieces. But then another time when he returned to the spot where he had killed the lion, he found a swarm of bees and some honey in the lion's carcass. Just like the honey in the lion's carcass, when you roar back at the enemy in the power of the Holy Spirit, the problem can become a blessing to you. And I know what the enemy intends for harm, Jesus uses for good in our lives. And if some of my story today has uh, fallen on a questioning heart or a pained heart, can I just turn your eyes now as I land uh, to a hymn that came to my head when I was preparing? And it's this. O soul, are you weary and troubled? No light in the darkness you see. There's a light for a look at the Saviour and life more abundant and free. His word shall not fail you, he promised. Believe him and all will be well. Then go to the world that is dying, his perfect salvation to tell. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace.